Oh, glory. <laughs> Seth, you're killing me. <laughs> I've already heard three songs today I want at my funeral. I just hate I'm not going to be here to hear them. <laughs> I've had guys ask me, uh, what do you miss the most about retirement? I said, paycheck. Low mode is better than none. Uh, no, I, I tell you, I miss the people and I miss the worship. Because I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of places that are dead as a doornail out there. And uh, I mean, it's like a guy asked me one time, he said, what do, you, what do you think the purpose of worship is in a church? I said, well, it's like the appetizer before the entree. And he looked at me and said, most of our people go to sleep during the appetizer. Um, I mean, someone's just dead. It's like you wonder if they ever got saved. Or if they got saved, they got over it. And I, I just have always loved great worship. My one question uh, when I get to heaven may, may be, Lord, why didn't you let me be uh, a minister of music, be a worship leader. And he would say, well, if you hadn't been so bad at math, you probably could have done it. But uh, <laughs> for those of you that are musicians, you understand you have to know some things about math uh, to do music. I can't add two and two together. Um, let me thank you for, again, allowing us to be here and for Pastor Paul and his invitation to come and his graciousness. Saturday, I texted him, and I said, uh, uh, last Saturday, oh, yeah, when he left. Saturday, I texted him, I said, look, when you get to Ethiopia, and when you get up to preach, say, and ask the translator to get this right. This is my friend, Brian Kelly, and he likes to be hugged. And he especially likes people to kiss him on the face. <laughs> hey, I've known Brian since he's in middle school. I can do that. I can do that. Now, Dee's probably going, I can't wait till he gets home. And Dee, don't call me. Whatever happened, don't call me. Tell Terry, she'll translate. Um, so many of you have prayed for Haley and for her little girl who's, gosh, she's now 13, almost 14. And Haley's had her for three of the last four years, and uh, I would just ask you to pray as we work on a uh, plan for permanence with her. And um, just, just pray that God would open those doors, knock down those walls, and... Uh, so Terry and the girls, uh, my girls apparently think I still have a job <laughs> because they called Terry and said, we want to go to New York. We want to see three shows in two days. And I'm going cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. And so this afternoon, I'm sitting in a chair at Strauss House and the phone rings and it's Haley and uh, her little girl. 
is there, and she says, Cat Daddy, uh, when Kit Kat and Haley and Aaron go to New York, are you going to come stay with me? Now, folks, there's some things you don't have to pray about. <laughs> and I said, yes. And she said, where are you going to take me? I said, Chick-fil-A? <laughs> and she said, okay, where else are we going? And then she said, I have a debit card. I said, you do? She said, I don't know the code. <laughs> Which means it's going to be my card wherever we go. But uh, thank you for praying for that. She had scoliosis surgery back in December. And I, I have never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, you know, they put these rods up and down their back, and she had the surgery. The next day, they come in, tell her how to get out of bed. She gets out of bed. They say, now, we want you to walk up the steps. She walks up the steps. At noon the next day, after surgery, they say, okay, she can go home. And we're going, no, no. No, we don't know how to get her out of bed. We don't know how to get her up the steps. She has done amazing. I mean, and I have told her, and Terry has told her, you do not know how many people have prayed for you to come through that surgery well. And she actually passed that semester of school, praise God. Terry was the substitute teacher uh, for the whole month and uh, prayed for the anointing of God on her life as she did math and science and everything else, but y'all have been so good to us. And uh, I, uh, I love to call Paul and talk to him. And I don't bother him much because I'm trying to figure out if I'm in the middle of his schedule or at the beginning of his schedule or I just need to not be on his schedule <laughs> for that day because... He is, I mean, I went in his office and I thought, if I stood in here for another 10 years, I could not figure out all this stuff. And can I tell you something? When God called Paul here, God called the pastor that could pull this church through COVID and out of it. And he is doing things as your pastor that I couldn't do. I couldn't do it. And I know I couldn't do it. And I've told Terry, I said, God made it so clear when it was time for us to go. And uh, God made it so clear that you guys did a great job getting a pastor. And that may be the number one question I get. How did Sherwood have such a smooth transition? I said, prayer and unity. The transition team was prayerful and united. The people were prayerful and united. And... Uh, Listen, there, were people, there are people that I talk to and they say, well, they tell us we need a two-year interim. I said, no, you don't. I said, you think there were two years between Moses and Joshua? No. You don't need a two-year interim. You just need to find God's man. I, I, I'm working with two pulpit committees right now. One, one of them I might quit working with. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just look at them sometimes and say, how did you get on there? 
what did, did they have a random drawing or something? Like, how did you get on here? And, and they asked me all these things and, you know, should we get a search firm? And, you know, I said, no, don't get a search firm. You got one man. There's one man that ought to be the next pastor of your church. In fact, I told one of them, you could fit all of Sherwood's facilities on this campus inside that church's facilities. And they're running 250. And I said, if you don't get this right, it's going to be over. It's going to be over. And because you got it right, the future of Sherwood is as bright as the promises of God. One of the things I do love about being in the mountains, I don't have a bad view. Um, I get up and get a cup of coffee and watch the sun come over the Greenbrier Ridge and through all the seasons. And, but the other thing I love is when Ken Jenkins and I get together and we'll meet at this little diner. It's subtitled, A Cholesterol Picnic. <laughs> if you want to get to heaven, just go to a home cooking diner where everything is in bacon grease and butter. And so we'll go there and we meet and they know us. And, and so you walk in the door there and it's like, hey baby, how y'all doing? Just get a seat anywhere. What y'all want to eat? You want some sweet tea? Yes, ma'am, we'll take some sweet tea. What you going to have today? The special today's meatloaf. We got two sides. We got some fresh banana pudding. And so Ken and I go there, and we sit for about an hour and a half, and we talk and catch up. It's on the way from his house to his uh, shop. And so we'll meet there and talk. Well, a few months ago, we went to Hickory, North Carolina, better known as the home of Vance Havner. And Jeff Myers is a pastor in Hickory who grew up at Sherwood and uh, came to Christ at Sherwood, called to ministry at Sherwood. He's doing a great job in Hickory. I preached for him uh, last year. And so we drove over there to uh, go in Vance Havner's old house, the house he was born in uh, that is falling apart. So before we went into it, because it was summer, you know me, I'm a big outdoorsman. <laughs> so I went and bought some snake boots, and we needed them. And so we, we pull up to the house, and there's a place where a window used to be up in the attic, and a buzzard flew out from that window. And the guy had said, I think there's some stuff up in the attic. And Ken said, I'm not going up there. <laughs> and I said, I'm not going up there. So in the process, Ken and I find out that we are a part of four men. Jeff Myers is one of them. We put him on the board that day. Ken and I and another guy named Tommy Stein. And we are the board of the Friends of Vance Havner, which means we own his house. Now, I don't know if Vance knew I owned his house, but we own his house. That's so falling apart. It's absolutely falling apart. 
the next storm that comes through, it's going to be over. But, so I have the window out of the prophet's room that hung in my office here for a long time. And so we went into the house. It's still got the doorknobs that were put on in 1901. It's still got paint that's probably 50 years old on those doors. And so Ken and Jeff and I took the door off to the prophet's room, put it in Ken's car, SUV, and drove home with it. And it's now in my storage room. Now, back then, they didn't make doors as big as they make them now. So it comes up to about here on me. It comes up to about here on Ken. It comes up to about here on Jeff. And so we put it in the back. But on our way, on our drive, Ken and I have some great conversations when we're just in a car together. And we started talking about controlled burns. And Ken knows all about that for being an outdoorsman. And, and we began to talk about controlled or prescribed burns. When the forestry service decides that they need to burn an area to control the undergrowth and the vegetation to keep there from being wildfires. So while we were driving, Ken and I just started ticking off the list. So you got the burning bush in Exodus that was burned and not consumed. You got the pillar of fire in the wilderness. You got Exodus, God descending on Mount Sinai in fire. You got the altar of sacrifice and the fire falling on the altar and consuming the sacrifice. You got Elijah praying and the fire falling on the sacrifice and licking up the water. You've got the three Hebrew children who are thrown into the fire, but they're not burned. You've got references in Isaiah and Jeremiah and 1 Peter about being tested by God is like being purified by fire. You've got fire representing judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah. In Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit was symbolized in what looked like flames of fire on the heads of those who were gathered to pray. Revelation 3, Jesus tells us to buy from him gold refined by fire. Revelation 4, there are seven lamps of fire at the throne. In Malachi chapter 3, it's one of the great references to how God uses that image of fire to refine us and to purify us. These are planned fires. They purify, they protect the forest, they help avoid wildfires. And when they're planned, they plan weather conditions, they, they plan how much, they, they plan for where the smoke is going to go. I mean, they put all the contingencies that they can for this fire to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. And this image gives us a context of how God plans to control the fires in our lives. Now, it's also called a prescribed burn. Now, my dad was a pharmacist, and he was a compounding pharmacist. He knew how to take medicines and compound them and put them together to make some kind of salve or whatever he needed to make. Uh, the, the problem with 
those medicines left on their own, they can kill you. They're lethal. But when you put them in the right combination, they can heal you. And so the prescribed fire is the right combination of what God wants to do in our lives to heal us, to cleanse us, to purify us, to help us in the boundaries that he sets. And the fire enriches the soil even as it scars the trees. So Malachi chapter 3 and verse 2, go, go to the blank page in your Bible between the Old and New Testament and go back a couple of pages and you'll find Malachi chapter 3. After Malachi, there are 400 years of silence before Jesus shows up. Malachi 3 and verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. The key is verse 3. These verses tell us how God gets the dross out of our lives. How God gets the impurities out of our life, how God deals with the sin in our lives as believers, how God deals with our resistance. Now, I turned 70. Gosh. Whew. I turned 70 in December. You would think that I wouldn't need to go through any more fires at 70 years of age. I mean, you would think that at some point God said, that's enough. He's as much like Jesus as he's going to be. But I'm going to tell you, as long as I've got breath, God's going to keep putting me in the fires. And he's going to do it because he sees something I don't want to deal with, some attitude, some thought, something that I'm resisting him on and the Holy Spirit's prompting me. And I'm going, I don't know if I want to deal with that right now. I think I want to stew on that a little while. I think I want to keep that just burr under my saddle for a little longer. And God says, I tell you what, I'll burn that burr. And he does. And you know what? When I come out on the other side of it, I don't miss what he burned out. I'm grateful that he loves me enough like a loving father cares for his children to take me through the fire to make me more and more like Jesus. And I've still got a long way to go. But it shouldn't surprise us when God does that to an individual, when God does it to a church, when God does it to a nation. He's working to get the you out of you so he can get him in you. My problem is I got too much of me in me. 
And sometimes I justify it. Now, Terry will tell you I never do that. But sometimes I justify it, and I say, well, yeah, just the way I am. I mean, I was adopted. Who knows what my mom and dad were like. Hey, you know, just blame them. And God says, I don't care who your mom and daddy are. That's wrong, and you're not going to have it in your life. So first of all, there's a purpose. There's a purpose. The purpose is simple. It's to be like Jesus. It's a refiner's fire. A refiner's fire fuses metal. It separates metal from impurities. It brings the pure and the good to the forefront. Now, here's the purpose. By refining, the Lord separates us from the sin that he hates that's in the sinner that he loves. God hates sin, but he loves sinners. And when he refines us, he's separating that sin out. He's making us let go of it. It's not worth it to hold on to it. He's resolved to purify us. That word purify means to make clean or to make pure or to make innocent. It's used 94 times in the Old Testament. The purpose of purification is not destruction. It is to purify us. The Hebrew participle is a continuous participle. It means it never stops. God is always watching our lives. He's always looking at us. He's always saying, let's work on that. Let's work on that. Let's work on that. And the crucible of the fire, the refiner is watching all the impurities separate from the metals. Now, why would he use gold and silver? Very simple. Gold represents holiness, and it has to do with our character. God is refining our character. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. Silver represents blamelessness, and that has to do with our conduct. And that is the shiniest of metals. So God is dealing with our character, but what he's working on is he wants to see his reflection in our lives. He's committed to us becoming like Jesus. The gold and the silver needs to be purified so that it can come out of the crucible and be what it is intended to be, so that we look like him. Um, I think since we left here, we discovered who my birth father was. Is that right, since we left here? So now I know I have a half-sister who lives in Ohio, and we're working on what that bridge building might look like. And uh, I have a picture of him from after World War II when he was in Tokyo, Japan. And if you look at a picture of him in 1945 in Tokyo and you look at a picture of me, you know what my dad looked like and you know what I looked like at his age. And so when my girls saw that picture, they didn't say, well, dad doesn't look anything like you. They went, and he looks just like you. I'm glad I don't have his character, but uh, anyway. 
F.B. Meyer said, when the fire is hot, keep conversing with the refiner. And don't be offended when God's refining you. How can we be offended when God is taking out of that that keeps us from being more and more and more like Jesus? And so he's processing us. He, the Bible says he chastens those he loves. He doesn't just prune dead branches. He prunes good branches so that we'll bear more fruit. The dross comes to the surface, and then there's this rod that they'll wipe across it to get the dross out from the heated silver and gold, and then the silver begins to show the reflection, and the refiner is sitting there watching it. Now, Vance Havner said, if you want to see his door, you can come to my house. We'll go to Pancake Pantry, then we'll go look at the door. <laughs> Y'all don't all come at one time. Vance Havner said, when God consumes the dross and refines the gold, in his children. They feel it. He doesn't refine his saints in their sleep. God is not out to make us happy, but to make us holy, and holiness is not cheap. God's not trying to make me happy. He's trying to make me holy. Secondly, there's a plan for the control burn. He sits as a refiner. He's always on the job. Have you ever noticed there's no panic in heaven? There's none. Read everything you want to read about heaven. There's no panic in heaven. Oh, man, I tell you, the devil's working over here, the devil's working over here. God's not going, oh, man, what are we going to do? Somebody call a meeting of the angel armies. And let's see if we've got enough to fight this. It's already been overcome. Jesus is not panicked. He saved us to sanctify us. He sealed us in his spirit. And he has prepared a place for us. And so he sits as a refiner, which means nothing is happening without his observation and without his permission. He's watching the whole process. His focused attention is on every detail. I love this quote from Spurgeon. The refiner is never very far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. Christ is not in a hurry. He's not trying to get you to all that you need to be in the first six months you're saved. He's patient. He's working. He's processing. He controls the fire. By the way, he controls the heat. And he controls the clock. Lord, how long am I going to go be here? Until I get through with what I want to do. When I get through with what I want to do, I'll take you out. I'll scrape the dross off. I'll see more of my reflection in your life. And then we'll keep moving. Now, he changes the imagery to a fuller's soap. The Hebrew word there means to wash or to bleach or to cleanse or to purify. It's used 31 times in the Old Testament. Now, you know how they washed in the Old Testament, don't you? They beat it up against a rock. 
There was no general cycle. I mean, you didn't go out to the river and go, delicate, please. I mean, they took their clothes and they beat them and they stomped on them to get the dirt out of them. Here the imagery is applied to dealing with the sin in our life. God is cleansing us from sin. Now, right there by that, just write 1 John chapter 1, because that's what God's trying to do, is deal with the sin in our life that hinders people from seeing his image in us. The fuller soap is filled with alkaline salt, and it's used to cleanse polluted garments. Now, here's what's amazing. Fire and soap both cleanse and both purify. Fire and soap both cleanse, and they both purify. So you're talking about a hot fire, and you're talking about a hot water wash. And God takes us through both of them. And sometimes you feel like God's beating it out of you. And you know what? Sometimes he is. And it hurts. But that's because we're holding on to it. And we, we just, Lord, can, can I keep this? No, I want you to let go of that. Remember what Corey Tin Boone said? Be careful what you hold on to because it'll hurt when God pries your hands off of it. Thirdly, there's a positive point. So that, verse 3, the last part, he may present to the Lord offerings of righteousness. So that, in other words, our test becomes a testimony. The Lord's never abandoned his purpose. When God set his heart on me one day and called me by name and told me that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, he had a purpose for my life. And he knows that purpose, and he's going to work it until he sees what he wants to see in me. The day of beginning and the day of end are marked. And God has a purpose for you. And I want to tell you something. God's not done with you until he's done with you. And when he's done with you, he's going to take you home. And you won't be in the fire anymore. You'll be with him. Now, quick little side story. Since I've been taking all these treatments, I've lost a lot of distance in my golf game. I can't hit anything as far as I used to. I'm 20, 30 yards, yards shorter on every club. And so I've moved up to the senior tees. You can call them the ladies' tees. I don't care. <laughs> but I've moved up to the senior tees, and I know why senior adults have so much fun. <laughs> they don't have to cover as much ground. You drive your cart closer to the hole. I'm thinking about teeing off at the 150 barker. So I'm playing one day with Charles Lowry, and I'm just fussing about it. And I said, Charles, this is driving me crazy. I just can't hit the ball as far as I used to hit it. And he said, Michael, you're going to have to lower your expectations. I said, Charles, if I put them any lower, I'm going to be six feet under. He said, then you can raise your expectations. You'll be with Jesus. 
That's what I need is a Christian shrink. <laughs> You're going to be in the fire until he gets your attention, your undivided attention. Now, remember in Malachi, there are like seven questions that God asked him, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And the people in Malachi go, what do you mean, what are we doing? What do you mean, why are we doing that? What are you talking about? We don't have any idea what you're talking about. I tell you, you get in the fire long enough, and when God says you're doing something, you're going to agree with him. And so Malachi is revealing that the people of God have obstinance to his will and his plan and his purpose for their lives. You know, we, we live in a day where people will give God a few hours, but that's all they're going to give him. And in fact, when they give him that, they basically say to him, and you're lucky you're getting that out of us. And so they just give God a little. That's Christianity light. But that's not Jesus. Didn't, Jesus didn't save us to give him a little. He saved us so that we would give him our all. The presence of God will purify us, and the discipline of God will prune us. Now, let's go back to that comparison between Malachi 3 and 1 John, and we won't go deep because of time. 1 John deals with if we say we have no sin. Malachi, they're questioning God when he says, you've got some stuff in your life you need to get rid of. Now make this comparison. In Malachi, the refiner is watching over them. In 1 John, the refiner is interceding for us. So even while he is refining us, he is praying for us. And you can't get a better prayer partner than that. The Holy Spirit inside of you is praying. The Son ascended to the right hand of the Father is praying. You get prayer cards from this church. People are praying for you. There are people praying for you that you don't even know are praying for you. God wakes them up, tells them to pray for you. Quick story, and then one little final quote. So I was out in California in September, and... Uh, Played golf for four days, felt great, just had a great time. Uh, got up on the last day we were going to leave, and I told Terry, I said, I'm, I'm going to go down to the pro shop. I've got something I need to mail back. I bought too much stuff, won't fit in my suitcase, so I need to mail it back in my golf bag. I go down to the pro shop, and I said, I just need to mail this back. I'm stand, I stand there for 15 minutes and talk to him. How you doing? Good to see you. Good to talk to you. One of the assistant pros there is named Jack, and he's a, he's a great brother in Christ, a nice guy. And so I go to breakfast, and uh, the Lowry's and Terry and I are sitting there eating breakfast, and we're starting to talk about, you know, we need to leave a tip. And that's the last thing I remember. Now, I've been fine all week, and that's the last thing I remember. 
All I remember is I'm looking at Charles and I go, I'm going down. And then the next thing I remember is I hear somebody say, Mr. Cat, can you straighten your legs out so we can put you on a gurney? Okay. So I don't know it, but they've called an ambulance or put me on a gurney. My blood pressure was 61 over 34. So I go in the hospital. They immediately start pumping blood in me uh, as quick as they can. I'm, I'm there for two days. So the second day I'm there, they've got to get certain things done before they'll let me fly back. And um, I'm, I'm trying to beg the doctor to let me get out of there. I don't know what a hospital costs in California, but I'm sure it's a lot. And so, I mean, I'm trying to get out of there. And he says, Mr. Cat, I'm not going to let you back because until your numbers get right, you could get on that plane and have an arrhythmia and you'll be gone before they get it landed. I said, okay. So the nurse sticks her head in. She says, uh, can you have a visitor? And I don't have any idea who it is. I said, sure. And it's the assistant pro walks in. He said, hey, I just wanted to check on you. And this is what he said within one minute after he got in the room. He said, the minute we found out that you were in trouble, we stopped and prayed in the pro shop. Now, can I tell you something, folks? I don't know where those people live. I've never met their wives. I don't know how many kids they have. But they stopped and prayed for me. You know what? You don't know who has stopped and prayed for you when you didn't know you needed it at the moment. I didn't know I needed it. I was zonked. But I needed it. And can I tell you something else? There have been times when I've woken up in the middle of the night and I've sensed somebody was praying for me. Don't assume that in the body of Christ, there aren't people all over the place that God prompts and they don't even know why they're prompted to start praying and calling your name before heaven. And God may just say to them, I'm about to put him in a fire. I'm about to put her in a fire. She's in the middle of a fire. He's in the middle of a fire. You need to pray for them. You need to ask for the sustaining grace of God for them. And God brings people in the body together to do that which only God can do. And that is light a fire toward heaven. In 1903, Charles Ray wrote a book about Susie Spurgeon. By the way, ladies, there's a book out about Susie Spurgeon you should read. She was an invalid most of her life. After Spurgeon died, she gave away tens of thousands of books, helped plant churches, helped schools, helped preachers. I mean, she was an amazing woman. Everybody knows Charles Spurgeon, but I want to tell you, the secret behind him was his wife. This is what he says in the book. Susie Spurgeon said, let me see what I have that will abide the fire. 
I think this quote's in your notes, is it? Okay, so I'm going to go way down to, I thought, when the fire of affliction draws songs of praise from us, then indeed we are purified and our God is glorified. Perhaps some of us are like this old oak log, cold, hard, and insensible. We should give forth no melodious sounds were it not for the fire which kindles around us and releases tender notes of trust in him and cheerful compliance with his will. Singing in the fire. Yes, God helping us if that is the only way to get harmony out of these hard, apathetic hearts. Let the furnace be heated seven times hotter than before. Man. So, when we were uh, shooting fireproof, um, we had to burn this house. Remember the little girl was in the house and Kirk had to get her out of the house. And so, you know, there's this house and the fire department loves burning. We didn't just go out and pick a house. Say, that looks like a good one. Let's see if those people want to leave. Uh, so the fire department said, you know, you can burn this house. So brought in these experts. They put all these gas jets around and, you know, they get the kid in there. And, and I remember Haley's in there taking pictures. And, and so it's burning, and then it goes down. And they, they burn it, then it goes down. I think we had to start the house three times. Is that right? Three, had to start the house on fire three times and put it out before we finally burned the house down. That's after we got everybody out of it, okay? So when people see the movie, guess what they see? They see the finished product. What they see when they watch Fireproof is they see what Alex had in mind when he and Stephen wrote that scene. We want it to be like this, and he's got to get this girl out, and he's got to crawl out through the bottom, and the house is on fire. And so when people see it, there's nothing that comes across the bottom of the screen. Don't worry. They started and stopped this fire three times. They just see the fire, and they see the inward result. The little girl is spared, and she's saved. One day you're going to get to heaven, and you're going to see the final edit of your life. And you're not going to be laying under a tree with an oxygen mask on you. You're going to be standing before a throne. And you're going to look at your Lord and Master face to face. And you're not going to say, I can't believe you put me through that fire. What you're going to say is, thank you, Jesus, for seeing me through the fire. Because if it hadn't been for you, if it hadn't been for the prayers of the saints... If you hadn't been directing my life, I wouldn't have made it. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you tonight 
to just quietly do something before we, we're going to sing out tonight. I, I don't know what you're going through. I know what some of you are going through, but even when I was pastor here, there's no way to know what everybody's going through. Everybody's got stuff that they're dealing with. Everybody's got issues. But I, I have a hunch that some of you are right in the middle of the fire. And you're wondering what God's doing in your life. I mean, you're in the fire. You know it. You feel the flames. And you may be even wondering at this moment, will I ever look like Jesus? Will he ever see his reflection in my life? Will the dross finally come to the surface where he can scrape it off? And the devil's beating you up. And the Lord's saying, stay right there. I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. And so if, if you're in a fire right now, I, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but if, if you're in a fire, I want you to do something in just a moment. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to just stand where you are. And after we've had a chance for people to do that, then... I'm going to ask some people around you to just gather around you and pray for you. You might not have known that you were going to pray for somebody tonight, but some of you are. You might not even know the person you're going to pray for, but God knows who they are. You might not know what it is that they're going through. God knows what they're going through. And so I'm just going to ask you right now, if you're going through a fire, just stand quietly to your feet. And in a moment, I'm going to ask some people just to come and gather around you and just pray for you and pray over you that God will sustain you, that God will help you. And folks, literally from the front of this room to the back of this room, there are people standing. And so I'm just going to ask some of you to move right now and to go find some of these folks and just put your hand on their shoulder and just pray. Just pray out loud for God to touch their life, for God to move in their life right now and just be the body of Christ working in the lives of people. Why you do that? They're just playing underneath. We just want to pray. And we just want to be the body of Christ because six weeks from now, it may be you in the fire. So would you just pray out loud for those folks and just ask God to meet them in their fire?